Lesson 6 for May 4 to 10, ready for teaching on Sabbath, May 11, The Royal Love Song, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, May 4. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity of finding out from your word what you want for us in our lives. We thank you that Jesus came and lived and died, that each of us could have salvation. We also thank you that your word gives us information about how we live our lives. And as we study again this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, bless us, and may our lives be full, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave, its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Let's read that again, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave, its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Among the seasons of life, one of the big ones is marriage. Again, not everyone marries, but for those who do, marriage brings special challenges and special blessings as well. Among those blessings is the wonderful gift of sexuality. What a powerful expression of love this gift, in the right time and the right place, can be. Contrary to popular opinion, the Bible is not against sex. It's against the misuse of this wonderful gift from the Creator to human beings. In fact, the Song of Solomon, one of the smallest and perhaps one of the least read books of the Bible, describes the relationship between a young Shulamite bride and her beloved, who is believed to be King Solomon himself. The book unfolds the mysteries of human intimacy and the delights of conjugal love in marriage. Although the Song of Solomon has frequently been treated allegorically as a symbol of the relationship of God and God's people, or of Christ and the Church, it is first of all a poem on the love found in the real human relationship of a man and woman. This week, we will look at marriage as portrayed in this Old Testament book. Sunday, May 5, Indivisible Life Question, based on the following passages, how would you characterize the Bible's view of the human body? Genesis 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Psalm 63, and verse 1, O God, you are my God, early will I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you, in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. 
Psalm 84, verse 2, My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some religions believe in dualism, a philosophy that views the human body as a problem for the life of the spirit. That is, The body is deemed bad while the spirit is deemed good. In scripture, however, the human body, including its sexual characteristics, is integral to the whole being. Life is body and spirit, as we read in Genesis 2 verse 7. The psalmist gives the whole of himself in worship to God, as we read in Psalm 63 verse 1 and 84 verse 2. The total person is to be sanctified, set apart for the holy purpose God intended. Question, a positive view of the human body in the context of sexual relations is reflected in the Song of Solomon. How do these texts reveal this attitude? Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. Let me kiss... sorry... Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. And verse 13, A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 6, His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. Song of Solomon 5 Verses 10 to 16. My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold, set with beryl. His body is carved ivory, inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble, set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. And Song of Solomon 7, verses 1 through to 9. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughter! The curves of your thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a skilful workman. Your navel is a rounded goblet. It lacks no blended beverage. Your waist is a heap of wheat. Set about with lilies, your two breasts are like two fawns, twin as a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower, your eyes like the pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bathribbon. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, and the hair of your head is like purple. 
A king is held captive by your tresses. How fair and how pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. This stature of yours is like a palm tree, and your breasts like its clusters. I said, I will go up to the palm tree, I will take hold of its branches. Now let your breasts be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. The wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of Silipus. Throughout this sacred text, the human body is admired. The physical aspects of married love are not an embarrassment. A full range of emotions is openly presented. Powerful sexual taboos typically exist in many cultures. Married couples thus often find it difficult to communicate in healthy ways regarding their intimate life. Similarly, children are often deprived of the opportunity to learn about sexuality in the setting of a Christian home, where godly values can be integrated with accurate information. The Bible's openness with sexuality calls his people to a greater level of comfort with this topic, so that this vital aspect of life is treated with the respect and dignity due so great a gift from the Creator. And so to finish today... How can we protect ourselves against cultural and moral forces that either make sexuality into nothing but degrading animal-like passion or turn it into something shameful that must never be talked about? How does the Bible show us that both extremes are wrong? Monday, May 6, The Loves of the Love Song Question. Describe aspects of love presented in the Song of Solomon. Chapter 1, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Verse 13. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. Chapter 2. Verse 10 to 13, My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For the lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and done, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth his tender figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And verse 16, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feeds his flock among the lilies. And chapter 3, verse 11, Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and seek King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. And chapter 4, verses 1 through to 7. Behold, you are fair, my love, behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep, which have come up from the washing, every one of them which bears twins, and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. 
Your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory, on which hangs a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. Until the day breaks, and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh, and to the hill of frankincense. You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. Chapter 6, verse 6. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep, which have come up from the washing. Every one bears twins, and none is barren among them. And Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughter! The curves of your thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a skilful workman. Your navel is a rounded goblet. It lacks no blended beverage. Your... Waste is a heap of wheat, set about with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins as a, of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower, your eyes like the pools of Heshbon, by the gate of Bathrimen. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, and the hair of your head is like purple. A king is held captive by your tresses. How fair and how pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. The stature of yours is like a palm tree, and your breasts like its clusters. I said, I will go up to the palm tree, I will take hold of its branches. Now let your breasts be my clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. The wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of Sleepers and Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Set me a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. The Song of Solomon shows how friends spend time together, communicate openly and care about each other. In the Song of Solomon, two good friends become married partners. The wife declares, This is my friend, in chapter 5, verse 16. The word friend expresses companionship and friendship without the overtones of sexual partnership. Happy is the husband or wife whose spouse is a dear friend. Throughout the poem, intimate compliments and loving gestures convey the strong attraction, the physical and emotional delight that the male and female find in each other. The natural intimacies of romantic love are a gift of the Creator to help partners bond closely to each other in marriage. As partners are open to the work of divine love in their hearts, their human love is, as Ellen White writes in the Adventist Home, page 99, refined and purified, elevated and ennobled. End of quote. These verses also convey the loftiest of thoughts about love. True love, though, is not natural to the human heart. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit, as we read in Romans 5.5. 5. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. 
Such love bonds husband and wife in a lasting union. It is the committed love so desperately needed in the parent-child relationship to build a sense of trust in the young. It is the self-giving love that binds believers together in the body of Christ. The Song of Solomon calls us to make this love an active force in our relationships with our spouses. And so to finish the day, how does this kind of intimacy reflect, in its own way, the kind of intimacy we can have with God? What are some parallels one can draw? For example, spending time, giving completely of ourselves, etc. What other parallels are there? Tuesday, May 7, A Loving Knowledge Many have seen a return to Eden theme in the Song of Solomon. Though the couple described is not the first man and woman, the poem calls to mind the earliest garden, God's plan that they be one flesh, as in Genesis 2, 24 and 25, is portrayed throughout in delicate metaphors and symbols. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Question. How does the Song of Solomon present a commitment to mutuality in the intimate life of the married couple? Song of Solomon, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7 through to chapter 5, verse 1. You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon, from the top of Amana, from the top of Sinner and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse." How much better than wine is your love, and the scent of your perfumes, than all spices. Your lips, O oh my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits. Fragrant henna with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon. With all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes. With all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden, and eat its pleasant fruits. I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink, yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. How is Paul's instruction in 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5 similar? 
Let a husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Solomon invites her, Come with me, in Song of Solomon 4, verse 8. His bride responds. Later she invites him, Let my beloved come into his garden, in verse 16. He responds in chapter 5, verse 1, which we've just read. Scripture here teaches there is to be no force or manipulation in this intimate setting. Into this relationship, both partners freely and lovingly enter. My garden is his garden. Solomon and Shulameth share names that are derivatives of the Hebrew shalom, peace or wholeness. Their admiration is mutual. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, reads, Behold, you are fair, my love, behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep, shorn sheep, which have come up from the washing, each one of which bears twins, and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory, of on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed upon the lilies." And chapter 5, verses 10 to 16. My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory, inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble, set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. The balance of their relationship is evidenced even in the poetic style of paired lines and verses. The covenant expression, my beloved is mine and I am his, in chapter 2 verse 16, echoes the language of Eden. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, Genesis 2 verse 23. Question, how does the description of the marital union as knowing enrich our understanding of our relationship with God. First of all, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And First Samuel 1 verse 19. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. 
And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And Luke 1, verse 34, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And John 17, verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And 1 Corinthians 8, verse 3, But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. The Bible uses no for the intimate union of husband and wife. In this loving knowledge, the most hidden inner depths of their beings are offered to the other. Not only two bodies, but also two hearts are joined in one flesh. No also describes the relationship between individuals and God. For the discerning Christian, the unique and tender knowledge of marriage, with its companionship, commitment and unbounded delight, provides a profound insight into the most sublime and holy mystery ever, the union of Christ and his church. Wednesday, May 8. Love at the Right Time. Question. Read Song of Solomon 4.8 to 5.1. We read that yesterday, so we'll leave that for the moment. But it says, Song of Solomon 4.16 and 5.1 form the very centre of this book and describe, as it were, its climax as the marriage between Solomon and the Shulamite is consummated. Question. To what is Solomon referring in the following passages? Song of Solomon 4 verse 12 A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. And verse 16 Awake, O north wind, and come, O south, blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. And chapter 5 and verse 1. I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink, yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. And chapter 8, verses 8 to 10. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver, and if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I am a wall, and my breasts like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. In the Song of Solomon, we find some of Scripture's most compelling evidence for God's plan that people remain sexually chaste until marriage. One of the most powerful is a reference to the Shulamite's childhood, when her brothers wondered whether she would be a wall or a door in verses 8 and 9, which we have just read. In other words, will she remain chaste until marriage, a wall, or be promiscuous, a door? As an adult woman, she affirms that she has maintained her chastity and comes pure to her husband. I am a wall, we read in verse 10. 
In fact, she confirms that she is still a virgin up to their wedding night by saying that she is a garden enclosed, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed in Solomon 4 and verse 12. From her own experience, she can counsel her friends to take the steps of love and marriage very carefully. Three times in the Song of Solomon, the Shulamite addresses a group of women referred to as the daughters of Jerusalem to counsel them not to arouse the intense passion of love until the appropriate time. And we read that in Song of Solomon 2.7 I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. And Song of Solomon 3.5 I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. And in chapter 8 and verse 4 I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. That is, until they find themselves safely within the intimate covenant of marriage as she is. For the second time in the poem, the beloved invites his bride to come away with him. And we read that in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And chapter 4, verse 8, Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Sinir and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. Before the wedding, she could not accept his invitation, but now it is she who invites him to her garden. In Song of Solomon 4.16, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south, blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden, and eat its pleasant fruits. And he gladly accepts in Song of Solomon 5 verse 1. I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. He has not just attracted her beauty. She has stolen his heart, as we read in Chapter 4, verse 9. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. He is intoxicated with her love in verse 10. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. And he is exuberant that she is his and nobody else's now and forever. As he says in verse 12, My bride, my very own, you are a garden, a fountain closed off to all others. In his union to this perfect woman, he finds himself as reaching the promised land. In verse 11, Your lips are a honeycomb, milk and honey flow from your tongue. And so to finish today, what good news is there for individuals who regret their wrong choices in the expression of their sexuality? First John one nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Psalm one hundred and three, and verse twelve. As far as the east is from the west, 
So far has he removed our transgressions from us. And Isaiah 55 verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. And John chapter 8 and verse 11. She says, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Thursday, May 9, Safeguarding the Creator's Gift God had a special purpose in creating humankind as male and female. We read that in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. While each bears his image, the joining of gender opposites in the one flesh of marriage reflects the unity within the Godhead in a special way. The union of male and female also provides for procreation of a new life, an original human expression of the divine image. Question. What attitude does Scripture take towards sexual practices not in keeping with the Creator's plan? Leviticus 20, verses 7 to 21. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man marries a woman and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that there be no wickedness among you. If a man mates with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. 
If a man takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a wicked thing. And they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, he shall bear his guilt. If a man lies with a woman during her sickness, and uncovers her nakedness, he has exposed her flow, and she has uncovered the flow of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from their people." You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, nor of your father's sister, for that would uncover his near of kin. They shall bear their guilt. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. And Romans 1 verses 24 to 27. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their flesh, to dishonour their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed for ever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural cause of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And 1 Corinthians 6, 9-20 Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Scripture disapproves of all that alters or destroys God's image in humankind. By placing certain sexual practices off-limits, God guides his people toward the right purposes of sexuality. When human experience is confronted by God's precepts, the soul is convicted of sin. Question, what guidance is given Christian believers for relating to their sexuality and that of others in a fallen world? Romans 8, 
verses 1 to 14. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God... These are sons of God. And 1 Corinthians 6 verses 15 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are gods and second corinthians 10 verse 5 casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of god bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of christ and galatians 5:24 and those who are christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires and colossians chapter 3 verses 3 to 10 for you died and your life is hidden with christ in god when christ who is our life appears then you also will appear with him in glory therefore put to death your members which are on the earth fornication uncleanness passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. And First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful, who also will do it. Believers wait for the release from the corruption of sin at Christ's return. They wait in faith, considering themselves dead to sin through Christ's death on the cross and alive in him through his resurrection. Through unceasing prayer, watchfulness and the power of the Spirit, they treat their sinful nature as crucified and seek to obey Christ in their thoughts. They acknowledge God's ownership of their bodies and sexuality and use them according to his divine plan. God forgives those who repent of sin, as we read yesterday in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The gospel enables individuals who formerly engaged in promiscuity and sinful sexual activity to be part of the fellowship of believers. Because of the extent to which sin has altered sexuality in humanity, some may not be able to know full restoration in this aspect of human experience. Some, for example, might choose a life of celibacy rather than get involved in any sexual relations that are forbidden by God's word. And so to finish today, how should we as a church relate to, for instance, homosexuals? How should their own attitude about their sexual orientation influence our response? Friday, May 10. Marriage has received Christ's blessing, Ellen White writes in Daughters of God, pages 180 to 181, and it is to be regarded as a sacred institution. True religion is not to counterwork the Lord's plans. God ordained that man and woman should be united in holy wedlock to raise up families that, crowned with honour, would be symbols of the family in heaven. And at the beginning of his public ministry, Christ gave his decided sanction to the institution that had been sanctioned in Eden. Thus he declared to all that he will not refuse his presence on marriage occasions, and that marriage, when joined with purity and holiness, truth and righteousness, is one of the greatest blessings ever given to the human family. End of quote. As the Song of Solomon showed, sexual love can be a wonderful thing in marriage, but a lasting relationship cannot be based simply on the outward beauty and physical delights. Our bodies age and decay and no amount of diet, exercise or plastic surgery will keep us looking forever young. Solomon and the Shulamites' marriage is a lifelong committed relationship. Three times they affirm that they belong to each other. Song of Solomon 2 verse 16 My beloved is mine and I am his. He 
feeds his flocks among the lilies. And chapter 6, verse 3, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. And 7, verse 10, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. The first time, it's a recognition of mutual ownership. And we'll compare that with Ephesians chapter 5, verses Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The second time, she reverses the order in affirmation of her submission. As we also read in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The third time, it expresses his desire for her. As we read, continuing from verse 24, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Love like this cannot be drowned, as we read in Song of Solomon 8, verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. It's like a seal that cannot be broken, we read in verse 6 of Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave, its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, how does Solomon's description of his wife as perfect compare to Adam's expression when he first saw Eve? How should husbands then relate to their own wives? Firstly, the description of the perfect wife. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep, which have come up from the washing, every one of which bears twins. And none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory, on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies." 
and chapter 6, verse 8, there are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. And Song of Solomon 7, verses 1 to 9, how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughter, the curves of your thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a skilful workman, your navel is a rounded goblet, it lacks no blended beverage, your waist is a heap of wheat, set about with lilies, your two breasts, breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, your neck is like an ivory tower, your eyes like the pools of Heshbon, by the gate of Bathrabim, your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus, your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, and the hair of your head is like purple, a king is held captive by your tresses. How fair and how pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. The stature of yours is like a palm tree, and your breasts like its clusters. I said, I will go up to the palm tree, I will take hold of its branches. Let now your breast be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. And Adam's expression when he sees Eve in Genesis 2.23, and the man exclaimed, Here is someone like me. She is part of my body, my own flesh and bones. She came from me a man, so I will name her woman. How should husbands then relate to their own wives? Ephesians 5 verse 28 and 29. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. And that brings us to question number two. Some have seen in the book of Song of Solomon an allegory of the relationship that exists between God and his people or between Jesus and his church. While one must be careful to not over-allegorize, what features of the relationship between these two people can be compared to our relationship with God? We'll also look at Isaiah 54 verses 4 and 5. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth, and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood any more. For your Maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. And Jeremiah 3 verse 14, Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, For I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. And Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin, to Christ. And question three. Read Proverbs thirty one twenty six, Song of Solomon five sixteen, and Proverbs twenty five eleven. How important are our words in tearing down or building up our spouse and weakening or strengthening our marriage? Proverbs thirty one verse twenty six. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Song of Solomon five sixteen. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of. Jerusalem and Proverbs 25 verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. 
use the following texts as further illustration. James 1 and verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And James 3 verses 5 to 11. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission and it's titled A Strange Light. Ruth Jerris sang heartily as she walked home from the bar in her hometown of Mazabuka in southern Zambia. It was Friday evening and she had spent the entire day drinking beer. Suddenly a blinding light appeared in front of her. The light hung in space, and Jera stared at it, not knowing from where it had come. Her song struck in her throat, and she instantly became sober. Then the light vanished. Trembling, Jera made her way home. She didn't say anything to her husband or fourteen children that night, but she broke her silence in the morning. Honey, she told her husband, yesterday, on my way home, I saw a big light that scared me. Stop drinking beer, her husband replied. This could be God talking to you. Later that day, a Dorcas worker visited Jera's home and invited her to an Adventist church meeting. With the previous night's experience fresh in her mind, Jera went with her husband. Jera had been raised in an Adventist home, but left the church after marrying her husband, who belonged to another denomination. He played the saxophone in bars, and for years she sold homemade food as he played. Afterward, they would drink for hours. It got to the point that Jera would drink from morning until evening and forget her young children. Drinking was part of Jera's life, and she struggled to quit after seeing the bright light. For two weeks, she woke up at night, frightened and weeping. God, the life that I am living has caused me to neglect my children, she said. Help me to stop drinking beer. Then, one day, she lost all desire for alcohol. Townspeople were stunned to see her sober. They knew how she had been before, and they asked which route she had taken under the witch doctor's direction to give up drinking. How did you stop drinking beer? asked one. Give us the root that helped you to stop, said another. Jera replied to everyone, The medicine that I used was prayer. Jera also has used the power of prayer to win over her family for Christ. 
She was baptised, and through her influence, ten family members also have been baptised, including her husband. I always thank God in my prayers for allowing my family and me to start worshipping, said Jera, age 62. Worshipping God is very important in my life. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.